Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Loopcast, where we keep you in the loop on all things faith, culture, and politics. And before I start, I wanted to note you can find this wherever you get your podcasts Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Go ahead, leave us a review. If you've been listening to a few episodes already, it really helps us out. Uh, we appreciate all the support. <sighs> So obviously, biggest news coming here is 2024 is heating up. So former President Donald Trump has officially announced he's running again, uh, was described as the future president of the United States at his announcement, uh, walked out to Do You Hear the People Sing by Les Mis. Um, and <laughs> like I was discussing earlier, whenever you do Broadway stuff in the wild, uh, it never goes the way you think it should go. Um, it was so a little cringe, cringe. but... Gut takes. What'd you think of the announcement? What'd you think of the event? How'd you feel about it? Well, I watched almost all of it. I, I did it leave long. the speech early. Unlike it was so long. And and unlike the people who were actually physically in the Mar-a-Lago ballroom, I was able to leave. <laughs> Apparently people who were there tried to leave too and like were stopped by the guards. I don't know. It was just meh for me. It lacked all the energy that one would expect. Mm-hmm. Well, that we've come to expect, you know, like you packed out stadiums, yeah. people are singing, having a good old time. Like this was really nothing like that. And it must have been strategic because he could have done, you know, another rally at Ohio or something. The like, whole nine yards. He didn't do it. Yeah. It might take him a while before he gets back into the swing of things, before he gets back to more of his command, you know, because he used to give these dynamo barn burner rallies. And, mm-hmm. you know, he did a few good ones here. Like you said, in Ohio, 2022 camp midterm campaigns, but they're nothing like a presidential run. So we'll see if he can get back into the swing of things. Remains to be seen. Yeah, sorry for for those unaware. Mercer just uh, received a new tooth, so uh, everything he says is taken <laughs> with a grain of salt. He might be loopy. and not by <laughs> natural means. <laughs> no baby teeth fell out. Yeah. I think the biggest thing we need to talk about is not just the reaction to one given speech. Like, I think it was kind of underwhelming, but that to me doesn't really make make that big Mm -hmm. of a difference because he could then proceed to go on the road and give really great speeches. He has that capacity. You know, the real question is, is he going to still connect with Republican voters and get them to, you know, to rally for him and vote for him ultimately here when the primaries get started? You know, and that's still mm-hmm. a good 14 months away. Um, so well, it, that well, what do you think? Seen, but what I don't want to, I think is not helpful, is, is National Review with their editorial. It just says, mm. you know, in big letters, yeah. no, like that is yeah. not actually helpful. If, if you're National Review and you think that Trump is an aberration and bad news and that we, the Republicans need to get back to electing conservative, electable candidates. That's not a bad argument to make. You're just making it very poorly by saying, yelling, no, Yeah, that's not going to help. Mm-hmm. We do not need nor want all of the conservative media, all the other conservative intellectuals and you know, Republican officials across the country trying to come up you know, in, a, in a block and say, no, Trump, you have to pick DeSantis. He's the one we're picking. That's not going to mm-hmm. be good. Why? Because Trump voters be are inherently... You know, 
disenfranchised. Completely dis, you know, they, they, they Trump voters have expressed that they don't have uh, faith in the current system. They don't like it. Mm-hmm. They they think it's rigged. So if you if you do things and and coordinate in such a way that it looks like you're rigging it, that is going to backfire. No, don't yeah. be afraid of the electoral process. Don't be afraid of a vigorous debate between Trump and DeSantis and whoever else may want to run for president. Don't tell candidates like I don't like Nikki Haley. Okay, I, and I think Mike Pompeo. I mean, he was okay. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever. But I'm not going to, I'd rather him run for Senate, okay? But I'm not going to say, don't run for president, you'll dilute the vote, and then Trump will win. Okay, first of all, why do we assume that? Like, we could have 20 mm-hmm. candidates this time. That doesn't mean automatically that means Trump gets his gets in. Right. So what we need to do is respect the voters, respect the process, let him run, let DeSantis run, whoever else wants to run, may the best man win. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I did feel yesterday, like going through, cause obviously this was not a huge surprise. Like, and you watch the speech and like 20 minutes into the speech, all of a sudden he's like, and I'm announcing my campaign <laughs> for 2024. And everyone's kind of like, wait, whoa, did he just do it? And Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like clapping, clapping. Um, but what I felt like watching all the commentary yesterday. And then when I woke up this morning, opening up my national review, whoa, um, was just such a replay of 2016 where, um, you know, the liberal commentators are like, Trump's day is over. There's no way he can win. No Trump ever. I'm like, guys, what are you doing? You did this last time he ran the first time. Someone did write an article basically saying like deja vu, like do not fall deja the vu, same trap. Right? Yeah, I don't know if I... And then in the National Review angle, like we can't let him represent us. No, bad. He shouldn't have run. It's the same dynamic a lot of outlets really sounded similar to the view so like of course the view gets up they're (laughs) gloating he's done ouch so i watched i was like okay expected from the view but there was plenty of outlets that were like trump's done trump's dead low energy was terrible and like well that may be true but like to Mm -hmm. mercer's point we should have no one boxing out you know like i would just like to see everyone run a campaign based on their vision for america i think that's the ideal right that's Mm -hmm. really what lacked in the 2022 elections a lot of Republicans ran on inflation's terrible, the Democrats suck, but no one was no one w- had a coherent enough vision for what America could be that they were able to express and that people understood. And maybe they did, but it just wasn't yes. successful. So we do need a vision. And we should not also, though, in addition to a vision, you need that. We should not fear when candidates do contrasting of themselves with other candidates. I don't want it to be like mudslinging nasty, which what we had in 2016, I did not like that. (laughs) But I don't mind some negativity. Like, you know, if Trump says, you only got, hey, DeSantis, you only got there because of my endorsement. I mean, that's actually true, you know? And DeSantis could say, you're right. And then he could, you know, and if Trump attacks his, you know, his record or says, I don't think you're ready for primetime, go for it. Like, make your arguments. I think that's great. And then DeSantis can argue back. And, hey, why didn't you fire fire Fauci. You know, we can go back and forth on this. Have a robust debate, but I just don't want us to short circuit the debate. Now, I do think, you know, Trump does need to answer for the question that it does appear that the independent voters that we do need for a Republican to win, Mm -hmm. he has turned off those voters. Is there any way he could ever win them back? I mean, maybe, but the thing is, Donald Trump has a personality 
that can be kind of exhausting and people get kind of <laughs> over it after a while. He's not just a normal yeah. kind of person. And so you're going to have to go back to these tens of millions of independents who maybe gave him a shot in 2016 because they thought Hillary was a witch and they didn't want her. You got to go back to them and say, hey, I know I know you didn't like me last time, but this time maybe you could vote for me again. Mm-hmm. He's got to make that case. I think that's a very difficult case to make. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you know, and yeah. I'm not going to stop him from trying to make that I case. Think he's got enough he wants to make here. that case. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean we have to believe him. Right. I think the, the key is, right. is that we're not boxing him out from making the case. Like no national news outlets are saying, all right, well, you're just done and right. we're just going to bury you. And because that, like you said, that created the, the the whole reason Trump was president has created the Trump. So, you know, it's funny. It's hard. I look at this. I'm like, do people really learn? I feel like history just repeats itself so much. I wonder if that will happen. <laughs> but uh, another element. Which is one of the major themes of Les Miserables. So maybe that's why he chose the song, <laughs> the cycle oh, of the gosh. years. But, <laughs> but we are I think again. some of the analysis, though, I mean, it, it's easy to say. I mean, I, I really love, I really like David Marcus. He's a writer for The Federalist and New York Post. But he's very much pro-Trump and thinks, you know, he's going to win the nomination again. And that's where I disagree with him. I, I think ultimately Trump won't be able to make it. Um, and that I do think DeSantis is actually a bigger front runner than ever before. But see, what a Trump supporter will say is, oh, yeah, they always said, oh, you know, Trump won't be able to make it work. He'll never win. Uh, we can stop him. We can unite. And, and every time, ha, 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 it never worked. I mean, that's true. It is true. But it's also true that 2015, he was completely different and eye-opening and earth-shattering. And he would just get out there and say what he felt like. And for Republican primary voters, that was exciting because we had bland, vanilla, boring oatmeal uh, of John McCain and Mitt Romney and say, you know, and those guys are saying, hey, I know mm-hmm. you what, you know, what you'd really like people to say, but we have to be safe and you need to shut up and you need to do what you're told. And Trump came along and said, um, isn't this a, a democracy? <laughs> Boom! Why don't we just, like, this is dumb. Like, yeah. why can't we support the things we support? And it's very refreshing. That's it's seven years later now. And a lot has yeah. changed. It's wow. a different world. That's yeah. crazy. Seven years. That feels like yesterday, yeah. but you're right. It, we have moved forward. Mm-hmm. And so it's. I'm curious to see a lot of people have kind of said he still kept the make America great again slogan. And people mm-hmm. kind of use that as a dig, like, okay, he's, you know, he's wanted to announce for a while. He hasn't been able to come up with uh, a new, exciting catching. Like there's no juice to that event last night. Like it didn't really feel like the energy was in mm-hmm. the building. He definitely looked tired. I mean, it was like late at night. He is, I mean, he's eight years older than when he started, right? Seven years old. Thing. Yeah. I think he anticipated having i i think he planned this event you know i'm going to do this event a week after election day i'll have dr mm-hmm. oz i'll have carrie lake i'll have all these guys yeah. I endorsed and they'll be with me and it'll be this great celebration and i will be able yeah. to maintain like moment, momentum as a front runner however mm. election day Didn't came happen. and it went about as good as it could have gone for ron DeSantis. he wins by 20 points i mean he rocks yeah. it <laughs> and a lot of Trump candidates like Kerry Lake and Dr. Oz, they lost. And so I think, you know, his hope to, to, to launch his campaign early and to kind of crowd out anyone from ever thinking about running, 
That didn't work. Um, he's still got to prove himself and things could turn around. I mean, if anyone could do it, he would be the guy. But I do think, you know, declaring this early, his hope was that he would prevent other people from deciding yeah, to run. Ride the red gonna, wave. That didn't work. That won't work. It kind of signaled a little bit yeah. of desperation almost. A, I think it comes from opinion. a standpoint of weakness. Yeah. yeah, it really seemed a little bit desperation play of like, uh, it was supposed to not be that, but in the circumstances, there was no course yeah. correct to like, maybe we should think about. And they'd already announced the <laughs> announcement. <laughs> yeah, so the announcement <laughs> <laughs> they were kind of so, up the creek without a paddle. So, what else question then for you guys: When do you think we're going to start seeing um, announcements for running for other candidates? Well, anyone meaningful? Sure. Right. I mean, because like, okay, yeah, honestly, someone meaningful. I don't credibly see anyone other than Trump or DeSantis as a nominee. So you know, Pence, you know, he he'll get three percent. Pompeo will get mm -hmm. half of one percent. You know, these guys aren't going to get votes. I mean, like Asa Hutchinson, the governor of Walmart, he's not going to get five <laughs> votes in Iowa. I don't mean 5%. I mean, he may not get five votes. I mean, we're talking. as Then answer the question. Answer the question. When's DeSantis going to run? In Florida, the legislature goes to like late June. Uh, I suspect mm -hmm. he could announce in late April or even May and be fine. That's, a, that's usually the mm -hmm. calendar upon which okay, so gets announced. And it'll be obvious, yeah. even if he doesn't, in April, he'll, he'll have, you know, you can make these things known. Like he's hired a yeah. campaign staff chairman, and he's and he's making and he's announced he's going to make an announcement on June twenty or something like. You know what I mean? Like it's it's question then. Do you see uh, Trump essentially tormenting him by just taking shots and shots and shots, telling him like he won't <laughs> say he's going to run, but he's definitely going to run? And so, like, how do you see that play? How's DeSantis going to have to? you know, definitely go through those attacks while obviously looking at running, but publicly not running. Like, do you think that's a tough spot to be in? You know, Ron DeSantis showed some discipline uh, the other day when they asked him, what'd you think about what Trump said about you? What'd you think? And he just kind of said, you know, I, I get a lot of attacks. I hear a lot of noise. I'm governor more than any other governor. They attack me. I'm just used to it. You know, I just got to yeah. put my head down and deliver results for, you know, the people of Florida. Great answer. Great answer. Can he keep that up? I think that's his playbook all the way. Can he do that? Can he say that discipline the whole time? I don't know. Um, you know, as other another commentator said, it got into the gutter real quick with Marco Rubio <laughs> in the 2016 campaign. So can that can that discipline be maintained? I don't know. We'll see. I hope so. So that that Trump announcement speech felt very moderate. To me, it, it didn't really mention the 2020 election. Mm -hmm. It didn't really he didn't throw as many bombs. And like you said, with the little Marky, little Marco comments, and I think he insulted like Ted Cruz's wife and stuff like that. It's like, <laughs> right. Oh, so, so he, so yeah, the whole Ron DeSanctimonious thing, it didn't really feel like funny, oh, my, but like, which is kind of funny. I didn't think it was that good I mean, that is on, funny, on a scale right? of Trump insults. Not that good. So okay. <laughs> too many syllables. When are the, when are <laughs> the gloves so, coming okay, off, okay. Mercer? When's he going to start going after DeSantis's? Wife, when's he going to start? Because this is the playbook, right? It's what he does. Or do you think he's not going to do that? You know, I mean, I think he's already doing it. Pretty shallow. In a way. Like he's already dipping his toe in the water. I think it's just going to ramp up all the way till the spring. Now, here, here, for example, sometimes you have media. Sometimes you have these media guys on CNN or, you know, uh, or, you know, like back Governor Andrew Cuomo, some of these guys where they just they, they are so you know, come up and, and they needed a good, you know, reset, if you know what I'm saying. 
And in many ways, Trump was really good about that. He'd poke holes in these people who were just were, were so full of themselves, mm-hmm. you know. Now, granted, Donald Trump is very full of himself as well. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of times he would push back at some of these elite media elite types or, you know, Democratic politicians who think they're, you know, practically God mm-hmm. or whatever. And it was it was a beautiful thing to see because they needed a good, you know, course correction yeah. or whatever. Um, when Trump is cornered, though, it is true. <clears throat> I mean, he's pretty much an insult king and he can get mm-hmm. into the gutter and, and get kind of and just start throwing mud. Like you said about Ted Cruz. Well, think wife. about the Biden debates, too, in 2020. Those are almost unwatchable because it was just oh like gosh. incoherence back and forth and insults. Right. So the independent voters made the assessment of I'm so over this guy. I'm so done with him. Mm-hmm. And that's basically what Biden and the Democrats said. Do you really want to have to endure this nightmare for four more years? And we're see, this is where there was a disconnect between conservatives who were like, these four years have been awesome. Economy's roasting. It's doing great. Gas prices mm-hmm. cheap. You know, right. we're we're telling other countries that you know that we're America. Screw you. We're going to do it our way, and we're getting all these great policy initiatives passed. I mean, it was phenomenal. I mean, it was great. But we didn't understand. You know, and and the response is, oh, what he's got a few mean tweets. I mean, I get that, but the fact is that. Five to ten percent of independents in this country looked at him and were just like, I'm so over him. I'm so done with him. And unless Donald Trump can go back and and show Republican voters, look, I can win them back. I can win them back. And here's how. I'm gonna be disciplined. I'm not gonna be throwing mud. I'm not gonna be screaming all the time. I I that's a tough climb. So he had I I mean, if you ask me, I mean, not that Donald Trump would have asked me. Uh, but he couldn't even get his daughter to help out with the campaign, which is actually probably good. One of the reasons why his, his uh, uh, time at the White House was bad is because he's listened to Ivanka and Jared all the time. Uh, that was the bad news. But mm. if Donald Trump had asked me, I would have said, you know what? Don't run. You have a legacy of four years of being the greatest president yeah. in my lifetime, or at least since Reagan, for sure. Um, you had so many policy initiatives. Be the great you know, elder statesman of the party. And be mm-hmm. the kingmaker and be the guy everyone wants to, you know, to to win the endorsement of. But don't go through this again. You don't have to prove it, you know, yeah. but uh, alas, he thinks he needs to. Um, and then I'd like to, before we move on, do not, if I could give advice to people, it's like, don't just give people, uh, pledge your allegiance right now to a single person. Like, you need to make all of these people running earn your vote. And if they're not showing that they want your vote or that they deserve your vote, then they just don't deserve it. I think the mistake a lot of people get in is they pledge allegiance way too early. And then uh, it's like, oh, we got them so we can move on. Now we can go make other people happy. We can make other people happy. It's important that candidates that we support are showing that they're committed to being pro-life, to being pro-family and to being pro-religious freedom. That being said, this week, we kind of got some some. Well, how, how would I say closure on some of the lingering election Did questions? We? And it doesn't really feel mm. like closure in a lot of ways. Uh, Arizona, Nevada, they both took a really long time to finalize their elections. And it looks like it went Democrat. We thought it would be appropriate. We actually had a lot of people email, email in about this. Josh, can we explain mail-in voting? Mail-in voting has been a very taboo topic for a lot of people. Republicans don't like it. Democrats love it. 
Is it illegal? Is it legal? Should we be running with it? Should we not be running with it? Uh, what's up with mail-in voting and how did it affect these elections in Arizona and Nevada? Well, there's a lot of things to unpack, though. I mean, um, there's voting early, which is done in person, and then there's vote, um, vote by mail, which is absentee voting. And more and more states are adopting no-excuse absentee voting. So I live in Michigan, and that's a relatively new phenomenon. You know, you used to have to give an excuse, like, I'm going to be out of town. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm traveling on business or, you know, I'm going to my grandma's funeral. You, you'd have to give some excuse. And now that's not the case. Just there's no excuse. You, you can just say, I request a ballot. And, you know, the concerns are about that. Some conservatives and Republicans have had concerns about this because there's, there's a lack of a chain of custody. Whereas if you vote in person on election day, you're there, you have to show your ID, you know, you sign an affidavit, you get the ballot and you vote. And it's scanned and everything's done. Well, because in 2020, so many, because of COVID and so many people voting by mail, uh, what happened is we've sort of changed our elections. And so many more people now have become accustomed to it and they're voting by mail. And there's a lot of conservatives, uh, not all of them, but there's a significant chunk of conservatives who think that there's automatically fraud and that we're never going to win elections again. And mm -hmm. there's an additional thing in it on top of this, not just early voting, because there's some conservatives like, well, I'm okay with early voting. It's just, you're still in person and it's just like a week early. That's fine. They still don't like it by mail, but there's another whole other aspect, which is called ballot harvesting. And that draws major red flags for a lot of conservatives. And that's simply, I'm not saying simply, I'm just trying to be simple in explanation. That's allowing somebody else to collect your ballot. So by voting in person, obviously you're in person. If you vote by mail, you're sending it through the United States Postal Service, and there's, you know, it's a crime if the postal worker tries to mess with that. Um, but ballot harvesting is allowing somebody else, anybody else, to pretty much take your ballot and bring it in to a lockbox or bring it into the county treasurer's or clerk's office or wherever the, you know, that may be. Is it legal? It, well, in some states, it's perfectly legal. And there, again, 50 states run, have different election laws, okay? So California was, is super big, super two thumbs up on ballot harvesting. And Republicans are like, this is terrible. I don't like this idea. And Democrats are like, awesome, let's go. And they just <laughs> go out there us. and they collect ballots. And we lost so many House seats. Uh, Republicans, conservatives lost so many House seats because of this. And what they did is they learned their lesson. And what happened this cycle, 2022, is Republicans in California are like, okay, forget it. We're going to, we can complain about ballot harvesting, but we're still going to do it until we change the rules. And they went out there and there's how, uh, seats in Congress that flipped from Democrat to blue because Republicans in California said, we're sick mm -hmm. and tired of this. You know, if these are the new rules, we're going to learn them. And that's what uh, Republicans across the country need to realize because if only, you know, if you collect ballots from other people legally, right, it's called ballot collecting or ballot harvesting. If you do that, if you also allow for voting by mail and you also allow for voting in person, early voting and voting on election day, if you allow all these options, I mean, hello, more people are going to mm -hmm. vote, right? It increases the number, number of people that vote. That's just like no duh, right? Well, if one, one side goes ahead with those and and encourages their people to vote not just on election day, but to vote early in person, to vote by mail, and to do ballot harvesting. That party, if it's only one party, that party is going to get a lot more votes mm -hmm. than the other party does. It's just kind of obvious. 
And so California did that for a few cycles where only Democrats were doing those things and they were killing it, uh, doing very well. And then in Pennsylvania, this cycle, Democrats were encouraging voting, you know, early voting, voting by mail, absentee. And I don't know about ballot harvesting in Pennsylvania. I forget the law there. But they were doing these things. And Fetterman, here's the thing. So many conservatives said, how could, how could Fetterman win? I mean, he had a stroke. He just had, it sounded like he was having a tough time even communicating. He, you know, he was ha- it doesn't seem like the kind of person who should be going up for federal office. It's a pretty demanding thing. And uh, th- what people don't realize is that he waited until October 26th or whatever it was to have that debate with Dr. Oz. And by that time, 70% of Democrats had already cast their ballot. Those ballots are already in. It's over. You know, so Fetterman had had pretty much an insurmountable lead at that point. And there's nothing that Dr. Oz could do to convince enough Republicans and enough independents to give him a shot. It was already sort of over. Mm-hmm. And look at other states like Florida. They were totally embarrassed back in the 2000 election, the hanging chads and all this stuff. And they, Jeb Bush, you know, he's, I'm glad he wasn't you know, the nominee in 2016. But as governor of Florida, he did some good things in terms of changing the elections and the ballots and standardizing things and getting it all good. And since then, you can vote on election day in Florida, obviously. You can also do voting early day, um, early voting in person, or absentee, no excuse. And guess what? Republicans have been winning with those mm-hmm. tactics in Florida for the better part of 10, 15 years. So this idea that so many other people are like, well, it can't be won that way. Republicans can't win this way. That's not true. Right. I know Florida's case in point. And I think that it is important for conservatives um, to recognize. Uh, I think one of the headlines was like mail-in voting is here to stay. And so, like you said, Josh, you have to recognize this is how the game is played now. And we can't say, well, I'm not going to participate in that because, you know, I'm the higher moral ground or something, which just isn't the case. Well, I mean, if they don't want to do that, I mean, if you really want to wait till election day to vote and you know, go ahead and do it. I mean, but just don't be don't be crapping on anyone else who wants to encourage people to get those votes in. Because yeah. the right. Fact like is, get the vote out. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, it is just statistically true. If you, if you get more people to vote, you know, give them more chances to vote, you'll get more people to actually vote and you won't have a situation where like, Oh my gosh, I was busy, you know, traffic. I just didn't have a chance to vote. Gosh, I think you're talking around it though, because what people, what the insinuation is, is that uh, places like Arizona, places like Nevada had, fishy business going on. There was election tampering. And all of a sudden in the, in the 11th hour, Democrats pull ahead and win. Are you saying that it wasn't the reason those places were lost? The reason the Republicans didn't take back the Senate when everyone thought they would is because people didn't come out and vote instead of election tampering, like illegal activity, fraud, things like that. Like what's the true story there? Why did they lose? Obviously, Carrie Lake lost, you know, and it's been like a week after the ballots, mm-hmm. you know, were counted that she lost. And therefore, people like it took them a week and then they finally, you know, she finally lost. It must be fraud. Look, it might be there might be fraud involved, but just because it took, a, you know, a week doesn't mean it was fraud. So make the case it was fraud. Like, yeah, and, show and the so, evidence. And, and you hear some sense. people say, right. oh, well, the secretary of state, Kate, um, uh, Katie Hobbs, is the one that was in charge of the election and she won magic. Well, actually, there's been many cases where people who are in charge of the election, you know, and they end up losing. They don't win. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not prima facie on its own. Here's the thing. Republicans, Arizona, Arizona is a, still mostly a Republican state, and it's been run by Republicans for the last eight years. 
You look at the legislature and the governor's race. So yes, the secretary of state was a Democrat, but the laws of this, you know, the election laws were written by Republicans. And here's the thing. The biggest reason why Nevada and Arizona have been counting ballots for the better part of a week is precisely because they do not allow themselves to count ballots ahead of time like they do in Florida. Florida, why did it take, you know, everyone's like, we should do it like Florida does. You know what? Actually, a lot of Republicans and conservatives were recommending that Arizona do that. And Republicans Mm -hmm. in Arizona said no. It was frustrating. It's like, no, let us open up these envelopes, check the signature verification. And once they're done, let's run them through the machines and count them so that we don't have to wait a week. Right. But that was, that was a, the Republicans opposed that. Now, I think actually they're going to be in favor this of it. This gets now. to the point. Like, this gets to the point, though, right? Because what you're saying is this, this is why we have to have the reform. We have to have a reform of the election process, period. And I think um, that. We saw it coming from the Democrats before the election, like there's going to be fraud, there's going to be voter intimidation at the polls, like just going to be crazy. Um, And then after the election, we see wide swaths of Republicans being like, oh, my gosh, was there election fraud? Was it stolen? Was that why there was a delay? I mean, the bottom line is, and people from both sides of the aisle should be able to agree that in order for the American experiment to continue in the future, We have to rebuild the trust of the voters. We can't have huge percentages of either party saying our election system is rigged by whatever side. Right. We can't. I agree. The the republic does not stand. And I think that, as you know, if mail in voting is here to stay, we need to see some serious rebuilding of trust in that system. Um, So, for example, there's a great article in The Federalist this week. What didn't happen at the polls is by Cleta Mitchell. And she was talking about this erosion of the trust with the American people in this in in the voting system, in the election system, and just saying that, look, in in these states, so Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina. So three of those made headlines, you know, in this election, North Carolina too, actually, all of them. But voter verification for mail-in ballot in mail-in ballots has no transparency and no observers. There's no observers allowed into that process. So I think it is time that all the states look to um, examples like Florida and start to do the big, do the hard, ask the hard questions, do the big revamp because nothing else happens. We have to rebuild that trust that the American people have in the system or it all just goes away. Question, question for you, because that's sounding a lot like a, a liberal talking point. Do you think that Trump deserves some blame for sowing dissent or sowing a lack of trust in the election system? I don't think he was the only one. And I don't think he was the first one. He was just the super loudest one going on. Right. I mean, people were yelling about election fraud with the Al Gore case back in, you know, 2000 people were on both sides have been yelling fraud, fraud, fraud. I mean, and I was just watching a clip of Obama when he was running in 2008, warning about fraud and then making a joke that, well, good thing the Democrats in Illinois run the election system. And it's Ohio, like a joke yeah, and everyone Ohio. laughs. Like, ho, 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 ho. Um, so I don't think Trump was the first one. I, does he have responsibility? Yes. Like any public figure who's like yelling about it's all rigged, they carry deep responsibility. And like Josh said, maybe some of it was. I, I have no doubt. Given our vast knowledge of human nature as Catholics who are steeped in history, right, gentlemen? I mean, somebody's cheating somewhere. 
But there are conservatives who will say it took a week and they kept counting votes until finally Katie Hobbs wins and, and, the, and the Republican loses. That That's sort of like what they, the point they just sort of make. And, and, and right. I, I just that on its own is not proof of fraud. I'm not saying there's no fraud. I'm saying that is not proof of fraud. Make your case. That's not evidence. But Joe Lombardo is the new governor of Nevada, and that took Mm -hmm. five, six days for the count the ballots. He's a Republican, and why? Yeah, he's a Republican. Why wouldn't Why wouldn't Democrats steal that race? Why would they only steal the Senate race? It doesn't make sense. It's a counterpoint, right? And then, so sometimes you get people uh, who who post things. You know, people always post the weirdest things. But this guy, (laughs) I love Twitter. You know, it's (laughs) tweet. it, it is whatever. But this guy, Tim Young, you know, he's, he, I mean, I should know it, it says Tim r- runs his mouth is his Twitter handle, but he's got <laughs> 700,000 people that, that are his followers. And he kept saying, you know, he's making it sound like, oh, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but, and he makes the point, how is it that Carrie Lake gets one point, like 1.1 million votes for governor and mm-hmm. Kimberly Yee, who's also a Republican, she ran for treasurer. She got 1.3 million votes statewide. So he's like, "Are you really telling me that there's 200,000 Republicans that didn't vote they for Carrie Lake ticket. for governor? That right. doesn't make any sense at all. Baloney. I'm not buying it. Sure, whatever." And I just, it's so frustrating. It's like, wait a minute. I, the I assumption like response, here yeah. is that only Republicans and only Democrats vote. Only mm-hmm. partisan Democrats and only partisan Republicans. Look, I know that's what the conversation is like on Twitter. But there's actually independents still have the right to vote in this country and they split their tickets. Like, if you don't think that happens, yeah. like, wake up and smell the roses. I yeah. mean, Carrie Lake, I liked her a lot. OK, but the fact is there were if you look at a congressional district like David Schweikert, he is uh, he was a congressman from Arizona. He just barely got reelected Catholic guy pro-life. And Carrie Lake ran like five or six points behind him in his congressional district. Mm-hmm. So that meant there were people that were in. He, you know, they probably both won the Republicans, but the independents were like, yeah, okay, I got, I like Schweiker, but I don't like Lake. And that's what mm-hmm. happens. People split their tickets. It's not proof of fraud. Not to, not to bring up receipts, but I believe you said Carrie Lake was your rising star uh, a couple episodes ago. I did. Ago. I, she and... is a great. Well, yeah, you know what I happened after the her. podcast? She didn't take the, the Josh Mercer Loopcast bump and run with it. She attacked, <laughs> she attacked other Republicans. The endorsement. I don't like John McCain, okay? You know, he was a liberal Republican. I, I was totally against him, right? Yeah. And if you're in Arizona and you're a conservative, you probably, you know, the guy probably made you so frustrated for so many years. He's now dead. So, you know, me, rest, rest in peace. Rest in peace. But Scott what she did on the Friday before Election Day is she said, if you're with McCain, get the hell out of here. She basically gave the middle finger to Republicans in Arizona that liked McCain. Like that, that is like political 101. Suicide. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Campaign 101. Yeah. Yeah, do not bite the hand that. that feeds you. So, yeah. you know, what they decided to do was like, oh, okay, then I guess I won't vote for you. Yeah. Stupid. And I want to follow up too on the, on the comment I made about Trump because it was funny, Erica. You did kind of sound like a liberal ideologue for a second. I don't know if you're taking money. Well, for, you know, someone's got to take that. I don't page. know if you're Here taking money from mm-hmm. CNN, but um, <laughs> no, I, I think you make a you make a legitimate point, and I I do think that Trump deserves some blame for sure. But I, I don't think that I think there's some positives to what he did because he's just acknowledging what is obvious and a lot. And Dave Chappelle, I think he's going to come up again. He, Dave he, Chappelle, he talked about it in his monologue, like. <laughs> 
he came out of the yeah. house and is like, yeah, everything that they're doing in there that's corrupt and wrong and terrible, <laughs> it's true, and I'm doing it too. And they just ran back in the house and did the same then thing. Then he went right? back in like, the house. That was a great line. So, and you know why it was funny, Tom? Do you know why it was funny? Why was it funny, Eric? Because the SNL writers, when he made that monologue, they'd gone on strike. He wrote it himself. That's why it was funny. First <laughs> time in 15 years, Saturday Night Live was funny. It's a historic Agreed. weekend. But I, historic. If I could wrap right, this up, if I could wrap this up with a bow, I think that he actually did a service by just calling out what was obvious to a lot of people. Like, no election should take a week or two weeks to be called. Like, that's a problem and it deserves reform. And, and I think from both sides mm-hmm. that are calling for election integrity, that's nothing but a positive. I think everyone would love our elections to be secure, fast, fair. And, and the more that we can work on that together, I think it's a positive. So him calling it out, the, the uh, left calling it out, Democrats calling it out. I think it's, it's positive when done in good faith. Like who's to say, were they doing in good faith or not? But I think at the end of the day, like, like you said, Mercer, we should look to Florida for a model where it's mm-hmm. not going to take a week because then you don't get the the discomfort like in the climate that we're in where people are really on the edge and 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 divided and looking for any opportunity to pick apart as fraud even when as you're saying a lot of the evidence doesn't really there's there's reasonable explanations for a lot of it but it doesn't help cooler heads to prevail you know like right delay just fuels that right. fire so yeah. like I'm all for us getting our elections in order for sure Definitely disappointed how it turned out. And I, and I also want to bring up, too, so we got some questions as well. It's over. Nevada went. Laxalt lost. We're now in a 49-50 situation while we're looking at uh, the runoff in Georgia. So there's 50 uh, Democrat senators and there's 49 Republican senators. That means we lose the majority. Or if uh, Herschel Walker wins in Georgia, then it would be 50-50. It'd be tied. But there's the tiebreaker, obviously, from Kamala Harris. What are the differences between, does it even make a difference that it's 50-50 or 49-51, knowing that that tiebreak is going to be with the, the, the vice president? What's the point of even caring about this election here in Georgia? Well, there's a big difference. I mean, first of all, if it's a 50-50 Senate, that means um, Republicans still have c- committee chairmanships. They split it, the responsibility, and they can call witnesses. Uh, they can hold hearings. As opposed to when you're in the minority, you have to ask the majority um, for all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's that's a huge thing. Uh, we certainly want the investigation. We certainly want investigations of the FBI and the DOJ with regards to church burnings and the attacks on pregnancy resource centers. Um, there's that. There's also the fact that you know there are judges and legislation uh, that get voted on, and if you have a, a really tight thing, fifty-fifty plus. Uh, Kamala's a tiebreaker. She only gets to break the tie. She can't force a tie. Mm-hmm. And so, if you can get Joe Manchin, hey, you know this person is really bad. He sh- he should not be confirmed as to a, as a federal judge. And he, he's done that. You know, he's done that sometimes. Right. Not all, not as many times as we would want. But <laughs> he can he can uh, he can sideline somebody that's particularly egregious. Um, you know, if 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 they win the Senate race in Georgia. Then you have to convince two people. You have to convince Mansion and Cinema, uh, or somebody else. But um, so there are there are definitely votes on legislation and on on federal judges, other appointments that matter. That that having just the ability to pick off one vote is uh, crucial. And also, by the way, it's not just picking off Mansion. It's what if one senator on the Democratic side, you know, is sick. I mean, these you know, some of these senators are. 
pushing 90 years old. <laughs> and if they're hospitalized for a while and they can't make it to the Senate, I mean, come on, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you got to use whatever advantage you can. I mean, they've done it the other way too. So next topic. So we just got the vegetables out of the way, like voting, specifics, harvesting, all that. And now we get into the juicy stuff. Okay. The Twilight Zone. As someone who, you know, works at an organization and I, I do have people above me. I've kind of internalized some some mental guidelines to how I interact. And one of the things on my list is um, not to publicly criticize my bosses uh, because I like my job and I'd like to keep it. Um, but over at Twitter, uh, they've been living in a fantasy land for so long, drinking you know, the wine on tap, the kombucha on tap, uh, sleeping in the nap pods. Um, you know, I've <laughs> never, I never like to celebrate layoffs, but I think that, uh, and I, it's unfortunate for those who did, but the fa- I just cannot believe Twitter stayed alive for as long as they did. Like they were in a net deficit for like five years in a row. Like it's unbelievable. So to see an actual businessman come in and be like, yeah, maybe we should drop some of the kombucha taps. Uh, is just oddly, like, it feels like it's like common sense. Like common sense is kind of prevailing at Twitter. Um, so basically the most recent iteration of that is a designer who's been at Twitter for six years <laughs> got into a public beef with the CEO, Elon Musk. So Elon apologized for Twitter being slow in many countries, uh, specifically on Androids. And <laughs> so this guy, <laughs> Eric Bronhoer, so uh, said that he's been working at Twitter six years on this specific thing. And he's like, and I can say this is wrong. Elon shoots back. Then please correct me. What's the right number? <laughs> Twitter is super slow on Android. What have you done to fix that? As that's his job he's been doing for six years. And so he shoots back with, I think there are three reasons the app is slow. First, it's bloated with features that get little usage. Second. We have accumulated years of tech debt as we have traded velocity and features over performance. Third, we spent a lot of time waiting for network responses. So what we know right now, the app is slow. The guy who's in charge of it knows why the app is slow, hasn't done anything to fix it. And then this has been going on for six years. And Elon got And he complains about it publicly against his own boss. Right. Yeah. Read the room, buddy. There's a resolution to the story. Um, well, finally, this guy, Eric, he finished that with, I think there's, uh, this isn't something to be talking about publicly. Uh, maybe he should ask questions privately, maybe using Slack or email. Someone comments, at Elon Musk, with this kind of attitude, you probably don't want this guy on your team. <laughs> Elon shoots back, he's fired over Twitter. <laughs> yeah, that was so fast. That was great. This is such a, like... Well, it's refreshing to have accountability for people who screw up. I wish we had more of that in our society. You know, like mm-hmm. after the Afghanistan debacle, if, you know, the Secretary of Defense just said, that's on me, and he just resigned. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. yeah. Like, have some nobility. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like, you know, it'd be great to have public figures be more accountable, but they're it's not. So, but, but, but the thing about Twitter is that's so bizarre to me is like, he could have just like looked at this and acknowledged that it's a problem as well internally and then worked on mm-hmm. solutions with Elon on ways to fix that. So it's like, right. I think it's uh, more indicative of society at large where it's like, we'd rather get in these spats over trying to make ourselves look good instead of just like, why don't we just solve the problem? And it feels like what Elon's doing is like, he's going in, he just wants to solve the problem. Like he just realizes this is slow. I want to make it faster. 
So I I do have my uh, Twilight Zone <laughs> okay. highlight of the week, and that's actually uh, you tell me, audience, how how much of a Twilight mm-hmm. Zone this is. But the fact is, there's legislation out there to try to help pregnant workers, and of course, why wouldn't we be in support of that? And of course, the U.S. bishops, why wouldn't they be in support of that? Of course, like no problem. But then uh, then you realize it's Democratic members of Congress who are pushing this legislation, and what they mean by pregnant workers or conditions are anybody who, let's say, wants to not be pregnant by uh, killing their child, and all these would be, you know, this would include provisions, right, that would basically force employers to pay for that. Um, and so, Erica, kudos to you. Well-researched article here. You talked. Thanks. You got all the inside info from. Uh, Tom McCluskey, he's our guy at Catholic Vote that works, you know, on Capitol Hill and he knows everybody mm-hmm. over there. And Erica put together this article and explains it all. We'll put it in the show notes. But the, the Twilight Zone part of this is that the uh, uh, perhaps good-natured people working at the United States Catholic uh, USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Okay, so the, we have this Conference of Catholic Bishops, right? Well, they have they hire permanent staff who work there that aren't bishops, of course, and they mm-hmm. try to promote different things. You know, there's a peace and justice and there's the pro-life committee and all this other stuff. And they say, hey, we want to be in favor of helping pregnant women. I'm all for it. I'm all for that too. But this mm-hmm. legislation is not the vehicle to do it. It's horrible. Yeah. And the USCCP perhaps didn't realize this. A lot of the people there maybe didn't see what was really going on. And they just got, they're so excited to show how, pro-pregnant you know worker they are that they put their names behind this and they started promoting it and yeah. a lot of pro-lifers on the hill are like what the heck are you doing this is terrible legislation so that's a big twilight zone moment and i can tell you by the way uh a lot of people uh are a little frustrated with what's going on okay with some of the staff josh you you're telling me that no one at the usccb is talking to pro-lifers on the hill that's not that they're not talking they are and and, and you know this this is a legislation that comes down the pike and gets introduced, and pro-lifers are start talking to people at the USCCB, and they're like, "Wait a minute, why are you pushing this? This is terrible stuff. You should not but be it, pushing this." The USCCB is not that dumb. Like, there's, I just, I have so uh, Tom, no patience for them. Well, hold on. Yeah, hold on. It, it was the twilight zone. Like writing this story, I really did feel like I was walking through. So I talked to Tom. I talked to Ivana Greco, who's at um, the Abigail Adams uh, Wollstonecraft Project. A bit, you know, a couple was, and everyone I spoke to, um, it, yeah, it was this strange. Uh, I kept asking who's advising the bishops because they're pushing hard. And the twilight zone for me was that the four bishops who signed the letter pushing this pregnant workers act support act. Um, they were like the good guy. This was like Condrela in Tulsa. This was Nauman, right? Um, this was Lori, right? Head of the pro-life committee and yeah nama's a good guy yeah they're they're good guys they're super pro-life but it was like the advice they got to put their name to this bill whoever was advising them was asleep on the job there were no religious uh liberty exceptions and the the bill delegates all responsibility for interpretation to this um eocc the equal opportunity thing and you can read the article but I, i just whoever was advising them should be like the guy from Twitter fired by. Okay, so I think there's two reasons why 
they're a little bit ahead of their skis on this and why they're so enthusiastic for it. Number one is obviously after Roe v. Wade gets overturned with the Dobbs decision, the bishops are like, I mean, the bishops have been pushing back against sort of like libertarian elements of the Republican Party for a long time. Now, mm-hmm. the Republican Party is less libertarian than it was before. The Republicans are more willing to be like, yeah, you know what? Maybe we should help pregnant moms. Uh, you know, maybe we should have more targeted tax credits, help family formation. All true. Republicans mm-hmm. are much more open to this than they ever have been in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. But still, I say the bishops, after Roe overturns and Dobbs, they're like, bishops are, have been very pro-spending anyway, government spending anyway. And so, hey, let's spend money for pregnant workers. You don't have to convince them. They're all on board on that anyway, right? right. They're just, that's their tendency. They're the Democratic good, Party Chuck. at prayer, right? So that's one. And then the second thing is the U.S. bishops are against abortion. They have been against, you know, same-sex marriage, the redefinition of marriage and all this stuff. They've been fighting hard for religious liberty, which the left calls, you know, just being anti-gay bigotry, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So there is an incentive for the U.S. bishops to try to say, wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. We're not just a rubber stamp for the Republican Party. We, you know, right, they're we, trying. We, we look at yeah. every issue independently, and this is how we call them what we assume. So this is an opportunity for them to say, yeah. like, I know some of these right-wing Republicans might not like this spending, but we want to help pregnant moms. And it's like, hold on. First of all, the Republican Party has been never more, never been more receptive to something like this ever before anyway. And mm-hmm. number two, the left is going to, if you don't agree with the left, they're going to attack you no matter what. So. Don't put your name behind a bad bill just to try to earn you goodwill it is from not the Democratic worth it. Party. It's not it's gonna, not, it's not gonna work. They will support you if they're on your team, and if not, they'll attack you from here to Sunday. One of the points I made in the article was given the history in the last, you know, since to that since Obamacare, really, since the little sisters of the poor have been in litigation forever, the bishops backing this bill is like backing um it it is backing a bill that inevitably there will be a lawsuit. And that lawsuit will put some Catholic employer in court for years and years and years. And the bishops will just have to, you know, eat it and apologize later on because they didn't look ahead enough. It's it's not good enough, Tom. I agree with you. Um, you they have time to fix this. They can pull their support. They, they can should, pull their publicly. support. It is not too late to publicly pull it and say, we demand more. And that's part of the point, too, is like we should be demanding so much more. Why can't we have a bill to support pregnant women that's not tied to abortion? Right. Or that includes robust religious liberty protections. Um, so at demand better. Come on, guys. Come on, bishops. That's can my do twilight zone. But wait, there's more. You ready? <laughs> so from my home state, the only reason I'm bringing this story up for my twilight piece is that it's from my home state, the granite state of New Hampshire. Live free or die. Or as I like to say, live free and die. Because that happens a lot too. So this past weekend in New Hampshire, they had a Miss America pageant. This was just one of the local ones. This was the Miss Greater Dairy. I used to run against them in cross-country dairy. Miss Greater Dairy Scholarship Program. They have this Miss America-sponsored pageant. And it, it, the goal is to provide scholarships to young women between the ages of 17 and 24 living in the area and recognizing their outstanding achievements in scholastic aptitude, talent, character, community service, poise, all great things. Really big deal for these girls. Okay. I'm not a pageant girl, but it was a big deal for them. Okay. The winner this year was Brian Wen, formerly Brian. He didn't even change the spelling. It's just Brian now. 
a biological male, Brian, who won the Miss Greater Dairy 2003-2 pageant. He got a crown. It was sparkly. A title and a scholarship. He got the money. And the thing that killed me, the Twilight Zone, you know, this happens, right? The thing that gets me in the Twilight Zone is watching the video of this guy get the crown and the music plays in all the beautiful women standing behind. And he's fat. This kid's like fat. He's obese. He's like, oh my gosh, I won. And you're like, of course you won. Because if you didn't, they'd be transphobic. But all the girls behind him are going, oh, Brian. Oh my gosh, we're so excited. We're part of the, and there are the interviews afterwards. We're part of a historic moment. I'm like, yeah, the historic moment that they erased you as a woman just, just to bow down and bend the knee. I just want some of those girls to like, to like blink. Like blink a few times if you're being like, <laughs> like, like there's no come way. on. Like I mean, I always thought there was a lack of personality in Miss America competitions, and but I was hoping to be proved wrong. Know, I wasn't. They're all just like, yeah, that's a good point, Brianne. Because I feel like uh, come on, girls. when people make the you know I don't know if you remember when Jordan Peterson made the whole like this isn't beautiful thing, and people were arguing about like the cover model of like I don't know Sports Illustrated swimsuit. Yeah, and, yeah, the like, obese cover. It always kind of yeah, reminds yeah. me of that. It's like why are we are this is dumb. Like it, it was dumb to kind of begin with. Like, like the whole Sports Illustrated, like, swimsuits. It's just a dumb thing to argue about, right? It's like we're arguing over mm-hmm. objectivity. But this one to me is different because it's like he didn't even try. His name's still yeah. Brian. He looks yeah. like a man. <laughs> like, it's like it wasn't even he like he tried even to even look. No. And, and just put a dress in here. He's just like, on. sick. I'm going to take the money okay. and bounce out. Like, he legit could it could have been a prank. Like, it, that's how yeah. crazy this has gotten. Like, it's it's just like. Like you said, yeah. it's like we're living in the Twilight Zone. Like. It was the Twilight Zone. My goodness. Well, and it's like the I, you're right about Jordan Peterson. That was kind of like a weird thing, anyway. It's like I think he'd acknowledge that. I too. mean, Jordan Peterson is an anti-leftist, but he's not a conservative. It's like most, you know, like oh, conservatives, let's talk about Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. Yay! Like we need to protect <laughs> it for being the powerful lust thing that 15 year old boys buy. Like no, this right. is stupid. <laughs> like don't celebrate this. If they ruin it, great. Then let it be ruined. In yeah. some ways, you know. Right. It's like yeah, and in some ways, like Miss America, I I could take it or leave it, but like, come on, girls, stand up for yourselves. Yeah. <sighs> I get more upset authentically about like the a- athletic competitions. That actually yeah. does. Oh yeah. Me because totally. You know, I mean, when they just say, "Oh, I'm just going to be a you know a boy," just says, "I'm going to be a girl," and then I'm going to compete mm-hmm. so I can win because yeah. I can't compete against other men. I, yeah. I just, I can't, I can't, you know, obviously I feel very horrible for, yeah, mm-hmm. and terrible Those for girls. all the girls. Like they fought for decades to try to get that opportunity, at, you know, 50 years, right? And then it gets just vanished. Dude, I wouldn't, I mean, it would never have occurred to me. I'll just pretend I'm a girl so I could win a, a competition. <laughs> like, yeah. I, like I would rather die well, than do that. Like, I think that the, what, has, what is going on in high schools that men are like, boys the, are like, right. I'll just pretend I'm a girl. Like, the point that you're missing, though, is that. we need more bullying. I don't know. The point, crazy. I think the point that you're missing, though, is like, like back then, that wasn't encouraged. There was no like um, social currency or capital to be gained by doing that. And then also like right. these people, like, like this guy, Brian, encouraging that kind of well, stuff. This guy, Brian, right. He cannot be of sound mind to do this, right? Like any, mm-hmm. any, or, or for example, like people that are MMA fighters, like there's been male, biologically male MMA fighters go switch over and then fight women, which like, that is not, no one of sound mind would That's do that. So that is like scary. wrong on so many levels and dangerous. So the problem is, is that as a society, 
we are have not nipped in the bud like treating that like it's a problem, right? Everyone was like, okay, this isn't mm-hmm. a problem. And well, then it just no, festered I mean, and Tom, festered and festered. Conservatives have been yelling for 20 years. And then, you know, the media, all they care about is money and clicks. And I'm not even talking pushing about pushing a crazy I'm not talking ideology. about conservatives. I'm talking more like the, the people who have encouraged that as like live your truth and like do your thing. And, and then also like allowing that <laughs> yeah. to be kind of socially like, oh, and if you talk about it, you're a transphobe and you're all these things. And like, all of a sudden, one thing led to another, and now we have men beating the crap out of women in, a, in an octagon. It's like, how the hell did we get here? Like, and, and it's different than in the 80s. Like, you wouldn't be caught dead doing something like that, partially because you would have been corrected by your dad or by your brother or someone who has common sense. But now it's like, you can't, we've nerfed common sense. Like, we've just wrapped everyone in a bubble wrap so you can't speak the truth. And we've gone too far the other way. And there's going to be a swing back. There will. I, I'm totally sure. so. Let's hope so, Tom. But I'm concerned. We're hold you to that receipt. I'm concerned it'll be too far. That's my question. Is like we've gotten it into a dangerous territory where it's like there's going to be a swing mm-hmm. back and it's kind of come come down like a crashing wave and it's not going to be pretty. Like I that does us in. As always, you can check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get our podcasts. Drop us a review. It really helps us. And we did answer uh, some of our loopers' questions this week. So let let us know. We want well, to be, be on the sure post. to share it. You know, on your networks too. You know, yeah. share it on Twitter, Facebook, whatever. You need to share it. Let it let people know if you like it. Yeah. Shout out to Peter Wolfgang if you're still here. Hey, Peter. Peter, you gave us a long <laughs> review. We really appreciate it, man. Thank you. So, uh, yeah. Share us around and uh, hope you guys have a great week and we'll see you on the next one. Peace. Ciao.